0: Okay, we're now recording. First episode, Kings of Indy. Hell yeah! Let's do it. So, introduce yourself, Hayden. <laughs> I'm Hayden. What's up? Uh, introduce yourself, Avery. Uh, what's up? I'm Avery. <laughs> we're both uh, IEPY students. Go Jags! Hell yeah! Uh, and we're gonna talk about. We, we have no idea how to format this because we have no. We've never done a podcast before, so we have, <laughs> we're, we have zero zero clue, um, how to do this. But basically, today we're gonna talk about the first major offensive of the second world war because it starts second world war talking about the invasion of poland hell yeah Mm -hmm. um on all sides we're going to talk about the invasion of poland from the german perspective the polish perspective the soviet perspective uh and at some length the french perspective because they invade germany because of the invasion of poland but we'll get into that um so what we're going to talk about um briefly just a kind of an outline we're going to go. in order of kind of the events that lead up to the invasion of Poland then the invasion itself, and then Hayden's going to, you know, cover some individual battles, and then we'll kind of wrap it up with the end of the invasion, and then, then what kind of... I'm the battle expert. You are the battle that's expert, that's yes. <laughs> um, and we'll wrap it up with uh, the conclusion and kind of what's next in the war. So, drum roll please. Without further ado, let's get started. So... Where do we want to begin? So basically, the after the First World War, the maps of Europe are completely rewritten. So Germany loses a bunch of its territory. The nation of Poland is now created, because it's originally partly in Germany, mm-hmm. or present day Germany. It's originally in, in now in what is Russia, but now it kind of just is completely separated from the two nations, and now it becomes its own nation. And this is partly why Hitler will eventually take it is because he has the concepts of Lebensraum, the idea of living space. That the Germans are destined by God to kind of go into the East and take it over. Um, but after World War I, the Germans are very upset that they lost a lot of their territory of what becomes Poland. Um, and because Poland is uh, in the East, they wanna take it. So what do you have before the invasion of Poland. Because I know I have, at least in 1921, uh, Poland begins a defensive alliance with France. Um, And the treaty that France signs uh, gives little protection when it comes to an invasion from the Soviet Union.
1: Is that the Kellogg-Briand?
0: I don't know what the name of it, but I know they signed a treaty for it. Um, Was it 1928? 21. Oh, 21. 21. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like literally in the you know after world War one ends but then the poles begin mounting defenses on the russian polish border and it kind of deters a lot of um russian ideas of invasion because remember russia and poland are actually in a war at this point they're in a kind of a civil war Mm -hmm. but that ends and then that's that's kind of where it ends in terms of polish um french and english kind of negotiations until the 30s when mustache man comes into power (laughs) so what do you got um really before that um
1: what i have is a little bit about the munich agreement Mm -hmm. um which i think is definitely one of the big pieces of our discussion today Mm -hmm. um because it had a lot to do with appeasing hitler and kind of trying to avoid another war right i mean the great war um up until this time was the biggest conflict in human history, and I mean, clearly, no one wanted to do that right. pacifist or not <laughs> and uh I mean you know who 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 uh, they're they're trying to learn from their mistakes right. you know yeah. um which is fair, and when Hitler takes power, you know he speaks strongly for Germany mm-hmm. and getting back the land that was taken for them from them, i mean Everyone and their mother is aware of the Treaty of Versailles mm-hmm. and how it kind of screwed over the German people. Right. Um, which was a fair assessment. You know, Germany was struggling at the time, and it didn't help that there was a worldwide depression that hit the early 30s. I, I
0: do want to add that, you know, in the Treaty of Versailles, mm-hmm. and I kind of mentioned this before, but a lot of German land is taken over. And it's, 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 uh, it becomes Poland and partially... Some of, some of German territory becomes, like, detached from the main German territory, This uh, mm-hmm. the, the area of East Prussia. And that's what kind of mounts, um, you know, 20 years later when they invade Poland, a much better um, offensive strategy because now Poland is now completely surrounded on basically all sides by the Germans. I, I will get into that. Um, and I think
1: what East Prussia really did for Germany, at mm-hmm. least, and, like, Hitler's expansionist policy mm-hmm. was it gave him such a great excuse. I mean, and right. and, I, and when you read about it, you completely understand what he's up against with right. this Polish corridor, they called it. Right. right. And I'll get into that a lot more in the battles that ensued there. Right.
0: But, you know, you have this chunk of land separating. It's, like, not even, it's, like, 15 miles across, and then you're back into Germany, right. basically. It's, it's, it's so small. You can, in theory, justify, well, come on, let's... Let's, let's put this back into Germany. And actually Hitler does like kind of want this. He wants to build like a railroad across and go I, into Danzig yep. and then go into East Prussia. And that's kind of one thing that Poland, the, the Poles, are really kind of iffy about. i are like, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know Hitler, but yeah. So what were we saying?
1: Oh, I was, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, yeah, he was trying to create at least a path between those two sides and which, which makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It makes complete sense. It's logical on every level. Um, at that point in time, like, there's no use in fearing Hitler, right? But I mean, to be
0: fair, there is definitely a deeper meaning to why Hitler wants to do that. Oh, yeah. It's, oh yeah. it's not all it seems.
1: But. I mean, that gives him access to the East, where you have all these other um, countries in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. too. And, uh, but I think at this point, like, the whole of Europe, and even the world, if you will, kind of understood what Hitler was getting at. Mm-hmm. Which is why you see um, uh, this appeasement strategy right. offered in the Munich Agreement. And um, I think I think that's the best place we can start off for Perfect. the invasion of Poland, if you want to get
0: into that. Yeah, so, I mean, you have more about the Munich Agreement than probably I do, um, so if you want to take it, you can, please be my guest, and I'll add where I can. Um,
1: my knowledge on the Munich Agreement is not huge, but I will tell you that it was groundbreaking um, for all of Europe, and kind of setting the stage for the war. Neville Chamberlain was the leader, um, the PM of... United Kingdom. Great Britain, yeah, yeah, UK. And he was completely on board with the policy, and mm-hmm. him being on board of the pol- on the policy of appeasement... Gave it so much more legitimacy. Exactly. It meant everything. And, and funny enough, a lot of British people felt this way. Right. You know, like, this was not an unpopular opinion. No mm-hmm. one questioned um, this policy. So Hitler is asking for basically a lot of the land lost the Treaty of Versailles.
0: Yeah, he wants part of what's called the Sudetenland. He mm. wants he wants all the Sudeten Germans, which I don't I think are extinct now. I don't think it's actually like a <laughs> an actual ethnicity anymore. Right. But part of um um parts of of Czechoslovakia are basically like inhabited by these German speaking people. Mm-hmm. And Hitler wants to because this is after the Anschluss, this is after Austria has been annexed into the Reich. Mm-hmm. Um he now wants to have some of czechoslovakia and then france uk um italy as well as at the table for this discussion Mm -hmm. um i was soviet i don't think soviet union was at the discussion was it
1: no it was was just the western powers they um so germany um i I thought i found this really ironic i was having a discussion earlier today actually about it um Communism sits on the far left of the political spectrum, whereas um, authoritarianism or fascism. Far right. Yeah. Far right. But in practice, what we've seen is they kind of take a similar (laughs) form. (laughs) You know, you got this figurehead who's the leader, and this is not against anyone who's, you know, for communism, fascism. If you can put it into words and explain it to me in a way that works, good job. You know what I mean? Like, uh, more power to you. I get it. You know, I'm not going to stand in the way of anyone's beliefs. But in practice, what we've seen, especially at this time in the world, was you kind of have this authoritarian on both sides. Right. (laughs) As the head. And, um, but funny enough, it's far left and far right. So they they greatly opposed each other Mm -hmm. and their style of governance. And so the Soviet Union was not um, going to be involved with the Munich uh, Conference at all. Mm -hmm. And that had everything to do with Germany. Mm-hmm. Germany wanted, did not want them there.
0: They thought it would only cause problems, disturbances. Right. And well, you gotta, you gotta remember that, like, why Hitler says this even in Mein Kampf, he has plans as early as the mid twenties. He at some point is going to conquer Russia. At some point, Germany is going to invade. Mm-hmm. He hates the Soviets because he believes this idea of Judeo Bolshevism—that this idea of, of communism and Judaism are intertwined—and mm-hmm. that the Jews are the are the Bolshevists, and that they they have this grand conspiracy to conquer the world. So Hitler hates Bolshevists and communists just as much as he hates Jews. Yeah. So a lot of these early foreign policy decisions by Hitler to kind of go against the Soviet Union mm-hmm. are all done because he knows he knows he's gonna fucking invade them, which yeah. he kind of goes against, because then they signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Right. Which but we'll get into that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and one thing uh, to add to your point
1: there, too, was at this time, the Great Purge was kind of on its, its last length. Yep. Um, kind of like the end of it, but uh, still taking place. The Great Purge had just happened. And Russia, I mean, compared to Germany, did not look that great in the world. Right. I mean, probably... More, more so than Germany did, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so it, it makes complete sense that they were all like, hey, let's not include them. Right. Let's keep them out of this. And um, that also satisfied Germany, too. So a little bit more of that appeasement policy there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh,
0: so what, what came of the Munich Agreement? So basically, Germany gets the Sudetenland. And Hitler says, I'm not going to go any further than the Sudetenland. I'm not going to take over the rest of Czechoslovakia. This is my last demand I want. Bullshit. (laughs) Bullshit. It's complete bullshit. And Hitler takes the Sudetenland. But then, uh, five months after the Munich agreement, Hitler then annexes the rest of Czechoslovakia. And we were talking earlier about how Poland's basically now surrounded. So, in the north, they have East Prussia. They can easily, the Germans, if they want to, if they want to conquer Poland, which they will, spoiler alert, <laughs> they can come from the north. If they want to conquer from the west, they have just the mainland German border. And if they want to conquer from the south, mm-hmm. then they can go through Czechoslovakia. So they're now basically completely surrounded. Mm-hmm. And this is five months after the Munich Agreement. Um, and then in March of, do, do you have anything else you want to add about the Munich Agreement before, um, before I get into this? No, that uh, you, I think you covered all the bases. Okay, so in March of '39, Poland, United Kingdom, this is... Well, actually, no. Let me back up. Okay. Let me back up. I had no idea this happened. Mm. So after the quote-unquote precedent had been set by Germany to take over parts <laughs> of Czechoslovakia... Nice... Are you hitting your vape there, Hayden? <laughs> after the precedent, this is how um, Poland viewed it. They, they said a precedent had been set by Germany... To take over, you know, different ethnic regions that belong to them in Czechoslovakia. So now Poland seeks to set its own precedent. Uh, so they take over—I uh, don't know how to pronounce this—Zajci in Czechoslovakia. It's Polish-speaking region, Czechoslovakia, and they annex it. Mm-hmm. This is a fatal fucking mistake, mainly because England and France view this as an act of aggression, and it makes their their um, uh, their their relationships a lot shakier. Hmm. Because now they view Poland as as acting completely out of aggression. Because they didn't remember... Poland's not a part of the Union Agreement. Mm-hmm. They have the treaty that they signed with Hitler. Um, and then Hitler spells out, this is all I want, this is all I want, this is all I want, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. But they don't have that with Poland. So they don't have that 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 assurance that they're not going to do anything nefarious. Right. So then they annex this part of Czechoslovakia. And then the Union Agreement gets signed in uh, 1938, later 1938. And then in 1939, so this is where I was going to go. In March of 39, Poland, the United Kingdom, and France become military allies. But this military alliance is strictly about Nazi Germany. If Nazi Germany def- decides to go into Poland, then, then in theory at least, um, the United Kingdom and France will come to Poland's aid. This is not against the Soviet Union. And we'll see this because people ask, well, if France and the United Kingdom declared war on Germany after they invaded Poland, why didn't they declare war on the Soviet Union once they declared once they entered Poland? It's because the treaty that they signed with Poland was strictly about Nazi Germany; mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with the Soviet Union. So, in March thirty nine, they become military allies, and then this is probably one of the most interesting things I've I discovered in my research for this. So, then a few months afterwards, in August of thirty nine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: German Foreign Minister Joachim von Ribbentrop, and i even I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it. Correctly, Vyacheslav <laughs> Molotov. They sign the so the German and Soviet Non Aggression Pact, mm-hmm. um, and it's not an alliance. Nope, it is a mutual kind of way to say, "Well, we're not going to get in your way if you don't get in our way. <laughs> let's let's be cool here, even though we basically hate each other, but let's not get in each other's ways to conquer the world, basically, mm-hmm. and." I we were talking about this before we started recording the podcast. You know, I I always thought for a lot of these treaties you hear about in history that there's these big grand treaties that they're, <laughs> they go on for ages, right? Sure. But you can look up the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact and it's a page and a half. It's page and a half short as hell. <laughs> it's easy to read. The language is not very not very difficult to understand. It's extremely extremely short, and it's it's pretty basic for the first page. But then there's a uh. The, the remainder of the treaty was actually not published. And, uh, uh, it was kind of kept in secret. And part of what's kept in secret in the Ribbentrop Pact is the division of Eastern Europe. So once Germany once the Soviet Union conquer different parts of Eastern Europe, how they're going to divide it. Mm-hmm. And to quote the treaty itself, it says... In the event of a territorial and political rearrangement of the areas belonging to the Polish state, the spheres of influence of Germany and the USSR shall be bounded approximately by the rivers of the Narav, Vistula, and San. So, already here in a month before the invasion begins of Poland, you already have Poland. Or you already have Germany and the Soviet Union already kind of linking hand and saying, "Okay, we're Ninth, we're thinking about going to Poland." Nine days before. Was it, fact, yes, was it nine days? Was it nine days? He did not
1: waste any time. Wow. Um, and yeah, the, the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact was really, really interesting. Um, signed August 23rd, 1939. Mm-hmm. And um, before this, though, and, and something that uh, I'm sure you're aware of but probably missed um, was Soviet negotiations with Britain and France. Mm hmm. Uh, Stalin was really, really trying to develop a peace with Britain and France. Makes sense. And, um, you know, was not a fan of Germany, obviously. they They were not friendly. And preceding this pact and preceding the breakdown of these negotiations, um, was, uh, their, their original foreign minister, Mm Litvinov, for Russia. And Litvinov was Jewish, um, and he he was really on board with this treaty uh that was in the making with um britain and and France and he had drafted proposals and had given them to Stalin mm-hmm. in preparation to see this thing through and so really you were we were- or, uh they were right on the cusp of creating this this peace and immediately giving Germany no reason to start this you know invasion of the rest of Europe mm-hmm. because then they would have Basically been dealing with the same issues they had in early World War I, right? Mm-hmm. Up until um, the Bolsheviks took over. And that was a two-front war. But what happens is Stalin changes his mind and fires Litvinov, hires Molotov. Mm-hmm. Tells Molotov, create this peace, this pact with Germany. And it was more because he knew how powerful Germany was getting. He was worried. Right. And um, something that a lot of people forget about Stalin is, you know, terrible as you want to make him, he was
0: always scared. <laughs> right. He's <laughs> an extremely paranoid. It's, it's weird because I like how you mentioned this of mm-hmm. like, he's a communist, Stalin is. Hitler's a fascist. Mm-hmm. They're on, in theory, com- completely opposite political spectrums, but they share so much alike. Yeah. Both of them are extremely paranoid individuals, mm-hmm. which I guess is really. Just for all dictators in general. it seems like a, a current... Like, just a common thread. Understandable for Hitler,
1: if you look at all the assassinations. True. Types. I um, haven't looked into Stalin, but I'm sure there are some there Well, too. I think...
0: Weren't some of the reasons for the purges of, like, the officer corps in the Soviet Union because he was just so scared of, like, a mutiny, basically? Yep, political opponents. Yeah. And when...
1: Um, I learned this a while ago, but I thought this was interesting, too. When Germany invaded Russia, mm-hmm. Stalin was freaking out. And he, he completely expected... His, his fellow political officers to rise up and kill him because he was just so inactive during the beginning stages because he was paranoid. He was scared. He, right. This was his worst nightmare. And the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, I think, really signifies that paranoia because essentially what Stalin was saying was, we do not want to be left responsible with Germany in the East. Mm-hmm. In, in East Europe, we're the only significant country that really stands a chance. Right. Like all these other nations will likely fall, and we're not even that friendly with them. Right. <laughs> and uh, so what do they do? They decide, okay, together we're going to conquer Eastern Europe, and we're going to split it down the middle. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to chunk off this half to me, this half to you, call it a day, mm-hmm. be happy, not fight each other. Right. And that was exactly what Stalin wanted. Um, obviously Hitler didn't want it, Of course, Hitler was also not in a position to wage a war yet when Mm -hmm. he hadn't even taken Poland, and, -hmm. um, the only, I think East Prussia was the only place on the German map that was anywhere near Mm -hmm. Russia at the time.
0: Mm -hmm. Um. Which now belongs to present-day Russia, ironically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, like, what, Collins? Collinsgrad? Is that what it's called? It's, it's like a... It's in it's modern day East Prussia, but now mm-hmm. it belongs it's like detached from mainland Russia. Really? And it's like smack dab in the middle of like the Baltics and Poland. Like it's basically <laughs> now Russia. It's hilarious it's it's weird that they've they can just completely flip flopped But yeah, you were saying?
1: Oh, I I mean that's just it. Um yeah, the the Molotov Ribbentrop pact, to me anyway, was just out of paranoia mm-hmm. for Stalin anyway. Right. And I think it helped with Germany too, because I mean, it would have made the invasion of Poland so much easier um, because Russia was basically going to help out in the last leg and finish this, this war up. Um, and I, I think what gets left out a lot, uh, and you hear a lot of times people saying, Poland, France fell in a couple days, mm-hmm. no big deal. I mean, not literally. Um, and they really didn't stand a chance. But the saddest part of it all was they really did stand a chance at Germany to Germany at that time. Right. Germany was highly advanced technologically. Um and they had obviously the blitzkrieg tactic among other things. Mm-hmm. They had one of the best well-trained air forces in the world at the time, mm-hmm. arguably the best. Uh they they were just so ahead of their time, but in terms of numerical advantages and t- taking on all these different countries, it's just too much at once. Exactly. And and that's what it came to be towards the end of the war, right. obviously. Um, and we'll get into that another time, sure. But, yeah, at this time, they knew Poland was not going to be a walk in the park. Right. But something I love that I, I uh, found out when researching for this a little bit, I found that Hitler demanded that Poland be taken in under six weeks. Is that true? Yeah. Really? He demanded take Poland in six weeks. Mm-hmm. And his generals all told him, no, 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 this will probably take, take a while. <laughs> right. Yeah, they said upwards of three months, probably longer. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just, I think that's a testament of how the Russians viewed the Poles at the time. Or uh, the Germans, excuse me. Be- the Germans viewed the Poles at the time. Mm-hmm. Because they, they were well aware this is not a one day, no problem, walk in the park, you know walk in with soldiers and say, hey, this is ours. Mm-hmm. They knew Poland was going to fight, and they were going to resist. And um, it's really it's really interesting how um, strong that resistance was. You know, the fight that they did put up, it's often overlooked, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what I was saying earlier, like with France, right? France's resistance was, I mean, nothing. <laughs> they capitulated pretty quickly. Yeah, nothing <laughs> major.
0: Considering,
1: um, because you have to think about World War One, right? How strong France
0: was right. during yeah, the, that the, war. Yeah, the the stereotype that France are just these, you know, they quickly surrender, all that shit. That's mm-hmm. so. Oh, your Menards bag, Phil, <laughs> is so only about World War II because they fight their ass off and they lose mm-hmm. almost like a, I think about it, two million men in World War One. Mm-hmm. So this reputation they they gain, sadly, in World War Two, of you know being the French, yeah, uh, is is it's it's partially deserved but i don't think the polls are as deserving as the hate they get because i mean like what do you expect like what what can they do they're surrounded on all sides a two-front invasion they don't have the mechanisms yet to actually counteract this shit especially mm-hmm. against two global powers that are much more mobilized much more mechanized than they are mm-hmm. it's just you're not starting off at a, at, a, at a good place and it's right it's we'll see exactly what turns out of, of of Poland, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. We should probably
1: proceed with September first to well the
0: Soviet invasion. <laughs> I will start. Okay, so August twenty fifth. So two days after the Ribbentrop-Molotov Pact is signed, Hitler declares that he wants to attack Poland on the twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. So the next day, uh, but he cancels the last minute because he learns of he just now learned of Poland's alliance with Britain. So this is a gigantic deterrence form, right? But um, this kind of goes into something I had no idea actually happened until I started researching it. So at the buildup of, uh, of the invasion of Poland, the Nazis didn't want just to walk into Poland and then create this diplomatic nightmare, basically. So they wanted, they wanted basically to create a series of false flag attacks to make it seem like Poland was actually aggressing on Germany and not the other way around. So this, they, they called it Operation Himmler. After uh, Heinrich Himmler, he was the, um, uh, the, the head of the SS, the Schutzstaffel. Um, and it's, they, they basically created a series of false flag operations. They called them, quote-unquote, border incidents. Um, and they would uh, have these incidents along the border, on the Polish border, to basically make it look like Germany was not aggressing and they were the ones being attacked. Right. So on the 22nd of August, a few days before Hitler declares when he wants to start the invasion, Hitler says to his generals, "Quote: I will provide a propagandistic casus belli, which is um, Latin for occasion for war." Hmm. He says, "Its credibility doesn't matter. The the victor will not be asked whether he told the truth." <laughs> so he's got a point. <laughs> he does. So mainly, these operations took place the night before the invasion on the 31st of August. Um, there were, se- there were several attacks, one want to quote. Unquote. Most of these raids had similar executions. Uh, SS soldiers would dress up in Polish military uniforms and then they would raid government uh, German government offices on the border, or they would go into villages on the border uh, to make it even worse. So remember the Holocaust is actually, it started at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they took many, ho- many concentration camp victims, specifically from Sachsenhausen concentration camp, and they dressed those victims up in Polish uniforms too, and then they killed them, and it, to make it look like there had been some actual fighting going on wow. between the Germans and the Poles. And this happened specifically in the villages of Hochlinden and um, uh, um But the most famous uh, and most inciting incident of this Operation Himmler took place at Gliwice, uh, and Gliwice uh, was home to a large radio tower. Mm-hmm. That was key to the region for kind of uh, disseminating news and propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on the night of the 31st, seven SS men get into the... They barge into the station, dressed in Polish uniforms, and broadcast a message in Polish that says, Attention, this is Gleibich. the The, the uh, broadcasting station is now in Polish hands, they say. Um, and the day before... Um, to kind of set this up, the Gestapo actually arrest a German farmer named Franzik uh, Hochenik, and the next day, uh, the SS men that storm the radio station at Gleivitz, they take um, the farmer that they arrested yesterday. They dress him in a Polish uniform. They kill him. They dump his body at the entrance of the radio station in you know to appear as if someone had been killed. <laughs> so there, it's all these things are just kind of. They're, they're, they're exactly what they are. They're false flag operations to make it look like Poland is the one aggressing. Right. Um, now, does this work? Not really. I think, at least now in hindsight, it doesn't really work. We know now, obviously that Germany is Sure. aggressing, um, but this was what the Nazi high command wanted to do. And um, on the, on the 1st of September at 4:45 AM, Germany invades Poland with no declaration of war. Mm-hmm. Um, this is known in German as Fall Weiss, means like Case White or Plan White. Yep. Um, so let me just go into a little bit of just the just the, the armies themselves. Okay. So, 53 German divisions, uh, including six armored German divisions, uh, about around one and a half to two million men, German men are, are deployed, and uh, Walter von Bachtisch is commander in chief. And this force of around one and a half, two million men is divided into three army groups. Mm-hmm. So, Feder von Boch leads army group north, comprising Georg von Klugel's third army and Gunther von Kluge's fourth army. And both of these armies, their objective is to head south towards Warsaw. Uh, Gerd von Rundstedt leads army group south. And this is the main bulk of the attack uh, because it compromised... Uh, it, it, uh, how do you say this word? It compromises? Comprise. Comprise, that's it. <laughs> it comprises Johannes Blakowitz's 8th Army, and that heads towards Poznan, Walter von Leichnau's 10th Army going towards the Vistula River, and Wilhelm List's 14th Army going straight towards Krakow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Heinz Guderian and Paul von Kleist lead the Panzer Corps. Uh, Heinz Guderian, by the way, is going to be a central figure in developing Blitzkrieg um, in the invasion of France. But we'll get to that later on. Anyway, um, then we have 1,600 aircraft uh, that are led by um, Albert von Kesselring and Alexander Lur. So this is what makes up the German military at the moment and the, when, when they enter Poland. And we'll see when we get to the Tsar Offensive later on. 90% of German military forces are in Poland. <laughs> the bulk of their army is in Poland. Um, So that's just something to keep in mind when it comes to later campaigns that they they engage in 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 Western Europe. So that is the German army uh, at the time of September 1st. So what do you have? Uh, I think you covered all the bases, at least for the German army there. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I can speak a bit about the Polish army. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, they were weak at the time of invasion. Of the invasion, but something interesting that I uh, found out was that the Western Allies actually pressured Poland not to mobilize their their full army. Yeah. Um, And I think this was, like, another tactic of, like, appeasing and, you know, staying on the good side. Right. But um, at the time, the Polish army had roughly a million troops, Mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, half a million.
0: And then, but they... Added additional five hundred additional five hundred thousand mm-hmm. mobilize them. So it's about a million at the end end of the campaign. Yeah. Yep.
1: And something interesting I learned actually too was that they had over two million men in reserve. Really, I did not know that. Yeah, or I, it might have been almost two million. But it, they had a ton of troops, mm-hmm. probably the same size as Germans ar- Germany's army had. They had the time to mobilize. Right. But Poland really didn't expect an invasion from Germany. I mean, they really didn't see this coming, and if they had known it was going to take place when it did, because you kind of have this ambush invasion, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of just up and happens. And at the time, Poland was mostly an agricultural slash industrial nation, um, give or take, and they they were producing some of the best aircraft in the world Mm -hmm. at that time, but they were selling it all. Their own aircraft were outdated; mm-hmm. they did not stand a chance against Germany's. Uh, they only had roughly six hundred to eight hundred aircraft in total, and um, if I'm not mistaken, Germany mobilized over two thousand mm-hmm. for the entire invasion. And they had two hundred ten tanks. They they weren't prepared for what came, and if they had had that time, they probably would have been much more prepared. Right. But from a German's perspective right that's kind of a good thing and the goal mm-hmm. um give poland the time to prepare and then here you are with this long battle that takes place instead of the six weeks or three <laughs> months that you're right that you're going for um but yeah so you, the invasion begins in the early morning of september 1st and essentially the first attacks were really bombings from the german air force mm-hmm
0: the Luftwaffe. Yeah, how, how do you say it? Luftwaffe. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, my pronunciation on German is not that great. I know. German major. <laughs> Neither is mine, to be fair. Um, but, uh, and, and the reason Poland was selling a lot of their good stuff, by the way, just wanted to note this, was because they were focusing on bringing in income and,
0: and you know, really it's, building their Poland, income. like you said, is an agricultural nation. It's na- basically a buffer state between mm-hmm. Germany, the Germanic lands, in the west and then the slavic lands in the east mm-hmm. of europe so it's kind of it's got this really awful geographic location yeah. <laughs> which will play out horribly obviously in this campaign and it's going to get way worse for the poles when the nazis really gear up the holocaust it's, just, it's a terrible geographical occasion mm-hmm. to be at um yeah i just wanted to add that because it's just terrible oh, <laughs> terrible that's, that's a, yeah
1: that's a good point um but I think I think the best place to start for the invasion of Poland
0: is the Battle of Mm-hmm. Get that right. <laughs> True. Yes, you did. Yeah, uh, I don't even know where that's on the map. Let me let me Google it, this. It was in the
1: corridor closer to East Prussia, and this little section of land, actually in the Free City of Danzig, mm-hmm. was um, was kind of where the height of these tensions between Germany and Poland
0: were located. Right, and that's kind of... I wanted to mention this earlier, but I forgot. Mm-hmm. When we talk about like the Polish Corridor and why Hitler kind of wants to build a bridge, so to speak. Not like a literal bridge, but like right, a, right. Uh, a political bridge, dare I say. <laughs> yeah. Um, why Poland doesn't want this is because um, the Polish Corridor is Poland's only way to the see. Mm-hmm. It's its only way to actually get any trade coming in. So with the Germans control it, they're completely landlocked. Mm-hmm. It's just, again terrible geographic location um but yeah please continue
1: oh but you have to uh note that poland's navy was
0: far superior five Mm -hmm. submarines (laughs) two i don't even know how many i think it had like don't quote me on this but i watched a video about it yesterday and i think there was like between i know this is a big jump but it's like between 25 to 50 submarines the germans have i know that's a gigantic Mm -hmm. um uh deficit but like they had a lot more let's just say that it was grossly outnumbered yes
1: and uh that's a big part of this whole invasion too is numerical advantage because like you said earlier the whole idea of blitzkrieg wasn't really um down i guess would be the best way to say it or, or wasn't um formulated as well until the after this invasion and they saw hey this works. Right. Combining all these
0: forces. <laughs> with armored divisions.
1: Yeah, and, and pounding the shit out of our enemy into submission. Right. You know? And they, the interesting thing is they kind of learned that with Poland. Mm-hmm. Right? And you do see a little bit of it, but it wasn't like a tactic that really, um,
0: at the high command, was... You know, so well, yeah, because remember, Hitler wants to do it in six weeks. Yeah, Generals want to do it in, like, three months. Mm-hmm. But when it happens in literally just one month, they're like, oh, well, I guess we can do this a lot faster than we thought we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and another thing to note, like like the uh, campaign
1: against France, in this one, the armored divisions did move at that pace. The issue was the infantry. They couldn't keep up, you mm-hmm. know? So while the armored divisions are conquering all these towns and, and making all this progress, High Command is like hey wait 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 for the infantry right to come and it's occupy it's it a
0: very old view outdated view mm-hmm. of military like strategy it's mm-hmm. yeah yeah nowadays
1: the last tank standing is <laughs> right <laughs> no um but yeah so poland was very ill prepared for this and the initial engagement took place on vesta Plata. Mm-hmm. um And the reason I say initial or first battle engagement, right, I will probably use those interchangeably, but the reason I say that is, aside from the bombings and the Germans crossing the borders elsewhere and little skirmishes, if you will, was this was kind of like um, the first battle, you know, major organized battle between two opposing forces, I shoot you, you shoot me. And the bombing itself took place when simultaneously Army Group South and North were attacking across Poland's borders. Mm-hmm. Um but so yeah this, this this little peninsula peninsula on the Baltic Sea was highly debated between um Poland and Germany for who historically owned it. Right. Who historically occupied it. And um interesting note, Poland has a very
0: rich history mm-hmm. that I had very no clue about. It goes back centuries before it even because it originally mm-hmm. was a nation. It was a like, kingdom. It was a kingdom. Yeah, in yeah. like the seventeen hundreds, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then I think mm-hmm. even further. Than that, really? Okay. Fact, yeah. But I, I knew it has a very rich mm-hmm. culturally it um, does. Just insane. Yeah. Read about Poland. <laughs> <And> that's the <laughs> so, end of the story. Read about Poland.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, if you don't learn anything. Uh, read about Poland. <laughs> yes. Um But yeah, so what happened was this this pre-Dreadnought ship sails into a harbor right next to uh, this peninsula. Mm -hmm. And they unload 220-some troops, uh, German Marines. And these will be the key ground forces attacking this place when the battle actually commences. Mm -hmm. But one thing I would like to know before that was Poland knew that this peninsula was important. Obviously it was their gateway to the sea, like you said. It was a long, it was on the corridor. Um and it it was a defendable position. Mm-hmm. And what they had here was a naval and military depot.
0: This takes place over by Hell, doesn't it? Is that what it's called? Like the Little Peninsula? H E L Hell. Um I'm not sure. You'd have to check a map for that one. <laughs> okay. Because I know that I, I one of the videos I watched, I know mm-hmm. that there was a like a fortress at like Hell. Basically, um, like it's it's over by you can overlook it when you're in Danzig. And I remember um, reading that Hitler uh, actually watched the bombardment of the hell, like fortress, basically every morning, like during breakfast, basically yeah. for a few days when he was in Danzig. Yeah. But yeah, please continue. He, and he
1: you're right. He did uh, go there after the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this is a this is a highly debated territory on who owns it. Um, both sides want it. Right. And it's a military depot. You have all these guns, ammunition, um, anything for the use of the military stocked up here. Mm-hmm. And you have 80 soldiers guarding this place, this peninsula, right? Which seems mm-hmm. very, very low. And right. that's because it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to America, that's a platoon. Right. To the American variants Very insufficient. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, essentially, a platoon of men. If you're not American, then 88 soldiers, take with that what you will. right. <laughs> And so Poland knew they had to stock up and defend this, this position mm-hmm. any way they could. So what they did, and I found this very fun, was they would dress up laborers as soldiers, and they would leave the base, and then they, what they would do is, after they'd leave, real soldiers would come back. Really? Mm-hmm. That's... And that's how they stocked up. Mm. Um, unfortunately, that stocking up was not a large number. And I think this... Uh, The reason that is, is you have to consider someone's going to notice. Right. Um, And especially if tensions are high, you know there's reconnaissance work going on, aerial photographs, right? Mm -hmm. And um, they had good information on this position, obviously. You know, um, a lot of Germans went to this place, right? Uh, Danzig, right? A Mm -hmm. lot of Germans went there. You got East Prussia, mainland to the west. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was a mixed area, if mm-hmm. you will. <laughs> Very. And uh but they would have been aware if they had stocked up with let's say a thousand men, right? Um someone would have noticed sooner or later. I'm assuming. <laughs> but so back to the battle itself. So this pre dreadnought ship and what that means essentially is a battleship before dreadnoughts right were beginning to be used. And uh and and don't don't take that for granted. <laughs> This ship had tons of It nozzle. was massive, yeah. Yeah, it had tons of guns. Uh, was it old? Yes. Did it have errors? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did parts of it break down? 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they drop off these 225 German Marines, and then the ship pulls out, uh, lines up horizontally with this depot, and begins firing at it at what is called the beginning of the war, right? Mm-hmm um no casualties were inflicted not a single one during this original bombardment bombardment and then the marines attack what did the marines find (laughs) well they found they found mines barbed wire artillery and an ambush of heavily armed troops Mm. waiting for them yeah so where they thought this was going to be a breeze it's not no not at all much like hitler with the whole invasion Right. so and and they, they really lost this first engagement, you know? Mm-hmm. Um they attacked, they backed off, called for air support, asked for the ship to fire again, ship bombards it again, no more deaths, right? Nothing I mean, still no no deaths on the uh Polish side. And the Marines attack again. Same same deal. They walked away with um I think it was Somewhere around, yeah, 200 wounded or killed on the German side.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the majority of the men they sent in. And um, throughout this whole uh, ordeal, and the the Polish uh, garrison there held it for seven days. Mm. Seven days. Um, While well, obviously the rest of the country is kind of... Pulling, Capitulating. Yeah, like... pulling back. Um, to this overwhelming force, and Germany is overwhelming this small little peninsula against two uh, a ragtag team of 200 men, call it the Alamo, and they're not backing down.
0: Right. We know? will learn this throughout the entire campaign, is that the, the Poles go hardcore. Oh, they... They are badasses. Yes. Against a, what is not, only now one-front invasion, but it's very quickly going to be a two-front invasion. Even though they, they capitulate pretty quickly, mm-hmm. you know, again in the span of a month, they are fucking badass so they fight as you hard know? as they can as long as they can with the materials they have and it's mm-hmm. a gigantic testament So again why like i don't know we don't talk about the poles very much in terms mm-hmm. of like their military capability but they fought extremely hard
1: throughout throughout the whole war. throughout the whole war
0: polish yeah. resistance is very yep. big all throughout the war and i mean
1: call me call me on my bullshit if i'm wrong you please know? but where else do you see that kind of resistance you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just it's it's crazy how how many times they fought back, devastated the German army, um, rose up again. You know, it was it was like they were a nest of cockroaches. You, you,
0: you, you <laughs> could maybe make a comparison to the French resistance. But again, France is so conveniently placed geographically, they could get a lot more help with, you know, Britain, America. Mm-hmm. Poland is in is deep into the Reich. Mm-hmm. It is deep into Eastern Europe. And the Western Allies didn't really help them. Even though they're bound by treaties, which we'll see later during the Tsar Offensive, they're bound by treaties to help Poland. They don't, really. Um, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, and, and the sad part about uh, France, too, is as much as they resisted, nothing really came for them. Right. Like you said, um, They there were some leaders that came of it. Uh, matter of fact, the leader of, I want to say the Fourth Republic of France, mm-hmm. which is the current republic yep, um was uh, uh dropped in on parachute in france mm-hmm. uh during the resistance the yeah, the president from... right after the war yeah um I think well, de Gaulle was de gaulle de gaulle, yeah that, that was him I'm pretty sure it was okay. him uh, again, don't quote me, <laughs> we'll get into France and there
0: will be extensive <laughs> oh research yes the france episode will be quite the episode, probably we'll... some recanting. um <laughs>
1: But the leader of uh, this this little garrison had PTSD. He'd fought in... The Great War. Oh, actually, I think three wars. Really? Yeah. Had huge, P- uh, really bad PTSD. Um, the Luftwaffe did come back and bomb them mm-hmm. after the soldiers, the German soldiers backed off. Uh, they destroyed their food storage. And... Um, You know, they were struggling, and their defenses were slowly, very slowly, I want to say, I mean, seven days for 200 troops against this massive force of Germans. You're not lasting long. Yeah, Yeah. and and what I think is also really overlooked about this battle, or if it's not, needs to be noted, is they're getting hit by the sea, the air, and land. Surrounded. All three, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, inland, you can't do that. You know, see especially, where you have these ships with all these mounted, massive guns firing at you, right, right, while you're you're trying to defend this tiny position. and um, I think it was on like the the fifth day, yeah, fourth or fifth day uh the the commander who was dealing with PTSD, right, and was they were all hungry because their um, food storage had been destroyed by aerial bombings. He sat his officers down and said, listen, we are in a terrible position. Mm -hmm. We cannot hold it. Um, We will lose. (laughs) Like, there's no question about that. Uh, Reinforcements are likely not coming. Uh, There's no reason for them to come. It's hopeless. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's basically telling them how it is. They're in a hopeless position. And he asked them, do we surrender? And you know what all the officers said? Hmm. nope we're going to keep fighting
0: again it's complete badasses
1: and it is a it's a testament to uh Poland's um willpower you know tenacity too just complete tenacity and so they continued to fight and eventually they surrendered and when the German um commander of the battle came up to accept the saber right which Mm -hmm. was still being done at this time (laughs) uh he didn't accept it Hmm. He said, no, I don't want it. I respect you too much. Right. Because he, he you know, he did. Right, right, What they did was incredible. A week. <laughs> a week of this. And they held out. Um, but anyway, so as you said before, they're kind of dealing, Poland was kind of dealing with attacks from all sides.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And, uh, you do see a lot of these pocket resistance um, battles throughout the invasion itself. Mm-hmm uh Notably Warsaw, um there were a couple in the corridor and along the uh Western front, obviously but um you know the, the what do you do in the polish command right I mean how do you defend this right um at this point right Soviet Union is not involved you're dealing with this massive German army they're attacking from the north they're attacking from the Northwest. They're attacking from the Southwest. Right.
0: Every direction. Yeah.
1: Uh, and they're all converging on Warsaw,
0: mm-hmm.
1: your capital. So how, how do you defend that? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do?
0: I, I do want to briefly mention part of Polish strategy okay. during the campaign. Yeah, so, perfect time. So <laughs> the armed, the Polish Armed Forces Commander is uh, Edward Rutz Schmigli, uh, and um, his best forces are concentrated in the West, mainly in the Corridor region and in Poznan. Um, Now, this means, because they're so concentrated in the West, that if the reserves and reinforcements don't come, he risks getting overrun by the Germans, which are obviously mainly in the West. Right. Uh, So he develops this plan. It's called Plan West, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, developed in uh, response to... The invasion basically for Poland's defense because they knew that they were not going to win the defensive battle against Germany. They knew this was not going to happen. So the plan was to gradually slow them down mm-hmm. and halt them until uh, the U.K. and France would invade Germany, which they do, <laughs> which they do. Um, should we get into the Tsar offensive now? I mean, I just... because this then kind of leads into the Soviets. Yeah, involved.
1: Uh, I think I think now would be the time for that. But I do, I just do want to oh, compliment your point, please. Um, yeah, it was all about slowing them down. They they didn't stand a chance. They yeah. knew it. Um, they fought like hell, right? Obviously, yeah. Truly. And uh, yeah, it, they 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 knew that if the UK and Britain jumped on this war. And immediately turned it into a two-front war for Germany, mm-hmm. that Germany would have to redirect a large portion of its army. Mm-hmm. I think it was you who said that ninety percent.
0: Ninety percent of German forces are in Poland.
1: Yeah, I mean that's. What What do you do when you get attacked from the west? You know, mm-hmm. you, you're screwed,
0: right? You what know? do you do when you're leading thirty-three to zero in the first quarter, in the first half, and then you know, what do you do? What do you do when you're in Minneapolis? I don't know. You don't lose. Yeah. But somehow you do. By, like, three points. So, for those listening, today is the day that uh, Matt Ryan's Colts lost to the fucking Vikings. In a insane, literally, they go from the first half, 33-0. The Colts are just raw-dogging. Crushing them. Crushing them. Yeah. And then the the Vikings climb their way back. What do you do? Well, what do you do? Well, France invades... The Tsar region of Germany—that's what you fucking do. Mm-hmm. They outnumber the Germans five to one. The Tsar region is like the industrial part of the industrial heart of Germany, mm-hmm. um, just uh, south of Belgium. Just yeah, it's it's very pretty small region, mm-hmm. um, but uh, forty invade forty divisions, French divisions invade Germany while well, again ninety percent of German forces are in Poland, are concentrated in Poland. Yep. Now the French use four hundred tanks, highly mobilized. And at this point in the war, the French are making some of the best tanks in the world. Right. Um, their armor is thicker than the German tanks, and the Wehrmacht, the German armed forces, they don't have the weapons necess- weapons capable mm-hmm. of destroying French tanks. Um, but the German army is led by Erwin von Lutzlben. Mm-hmm. He has 13 divisions to his name, and they are going to try to counteract this French invasion of the Tsar. Um, but... France basically kind of encounters almost no resistance. Uh, so in some villages they walk in because uh, it literally is that. It's just kind they're kind of just strolling around the German yeah. countryside, some of these enemy positions are completely empty. Mm-hmm. They're just abandoned. Right. Um, and by the twelfth of September, uh, five days after the offensive has been launched, France is now five miles within the Third Reich. Um, now it seems to me, and this is this might be me just kind of reading into it a little too much, but it seems to me like. The French... Because remember, the French invade Germany mm-hmm. because they're bound by treaty to do this. They're they're bound by treaty to come to the aid of Poland if Nazi Germany attacks. Right. Um, but it seems to me that, like, they the French didn't really have... Not necessarily a lot of hope in the operation in terms of that it wouldn't work. It was more just, like, we don't actually care about what this operation does. We just kind of want to uphold our end of the bargain just to say we did. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, the the French uh, the one of the French uh, generals who commands the the army that's going into the Tsar, he says quote uh, it was but a little test so the the czar offensive is literally just a little test to see you know what what's capable of the Germans what's capable of the French uh, and with the Soviets invading on the seventeenth it was just a matter of time before the resources were diverted away from you know helping mm-hmm. the lost cause of Poland so basically by the 16th, France has kind of stopped making progress into the Reich, into Germany, and by the 21st, uh, French General Gamelin orders his soldiers to retreat back to uh, back to France. And it's... Great idea. A great idea. You know, what What do you do? Um, it's just a completely lost cause. Um, About uh, six years worth of thinking over that one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but, yeah, notice how I said the Soviets invaded on the 17th, so this is a great segue mm-hmm. into the invasion from the Soviet perspective.
1: Uh, real quick before that. Go ahead. I do want to talk about um, Battle of bizera If I'm mispronouncing that, my bad. Um, spelled B-Z-U-R-A. Very Polish. Yes, very. Um, it was the largest counterattack made by uh, the Polish army during this invasion. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's worth noting, um, it took place between September 9th and the 19th. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I mean, the initial engagement um, led by Poland took place between the 9th and the 13th. Mm-hmm. And it was highly successful in the beginning. Uh, Poland was obviously outnumbered. Their armies attacking at this time. Uh, and pretty much throughout the entire invasion, uh, Germany, I mean, since the beginning, was bombing Warsaw. That was obviously the goal of all these armies, too. Right. Uh, and they had a lot of troops right at the western side of Warsaw ready to take it. And Poland kind of mounts this... I. I I interpret it as kind of a last-ditch effort, Mm -hmm. of buying time, because that's what the whole defense strategy was. Mm -hmm. We're buying time until our allies come and save us. Spoiler alert, they don't. Um, And, yeah, it was initially successful. Uh, They hit the Germans hard. It was the bloodiest battle of the Poland invasion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see over or roughly 30,000 soldiers dead. (whistles) Yeah, Uh, or close to that. But this is both sides combined but that's still a ton of soldiers. Right. I mean, for, for a 10 day engagement, mm-hmm. 10 days nuts. Yeah. 3000 a day. Mm-hmm. And again, if that's not another Testament said it before, we'll say it. The Germans don't even lose that in the entire invasion. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, I mean, Poland really is, is, is not worth being looked over, uh, especially for this. And, um, Plata and Mm -hmm. other engagements leading to this and of course the resistance Mm -hmm. and like I said initially successful Germans mount a counter to their counter if you will Mm -hmm. and uh, eventually these armies capitulate retreat uh, into Warsaw and the west part of Warsaw is officially taken and from there you there begins, um, or kind of segues into the siege of Warsaw. Mm -hmm. The official siege when you have mobile troops on the ground surrounding Warsaw and the siege that lasts uh, 20 days, technically. 20 days, Mm -hmm. um, if you consider the bombings part of it. And, of course, these armored um, groups attacking from the west as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But, yeah, it was... It's just—it's really sad what happened with Poland and how they kind of got screwed out by their allies. Truly, they really did. They—they signed this treaty with the hopes of securing um, a fallback. They know tensions are rough on both sides. And on September 17th, the Soviet Union attacks Poland. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can speak a little bit more about that, I'm sure. But uh, and at this point, Polish high command is. They're, they know they're, they're calling it a day. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing they can do. They issue a full evacuation. They're ready to get out and not lay down, but leave. You know, come back to fight another day. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anyone listening knows anything about wars, a two-front war is not the
0: way to go. It's like <laughs> the easiest way to lose very yeah. quickly. I
1: mean, you think about Hannibal. He he. Uh, you know he he designed that you know, the Roman, Hannibal Barca, uh, Carthaginian.
0: We will get into (laughs)
1: Carthage.
0: Leave (laughs) it to Hayden. It won't be a Hayden conversation if we're not, uh, he doesn't mention a Roman general at some time. Love Rome. Such a
1: rich rich history. How do you know history without knowing Rome? I don't know, man.
0: I managed to do it. (laughs) Anyway, um, is that all you wanted to say about, uh? The worst Yeah, siege they, siege. they just... Uh, uh, they
1: evacuate to Rome- uh, Romania. Romania,
0: yeah. Most of the Polish high command evacuates to Romania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But, sadly, still 140,000, give or take. Polish troops are taken
0: prisoner. Yes. Um, so that segues into September 17th. This is when the Soviets launched their formal invasion of eastern Poland. Yep. And Hitler's generals have no fucking clue. Because <laughs> I was kind of wondering this, like, so was this invasion planned, you know, with the both of them in mind, like what's happening. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't. Um, so, but again, you know, you, you kind of have a bit of, uh, a bit of what's to come with the Molotov-Ribbentrop pact, because it's it's, in secrecy. There are parts of the, of, of the agreement where they kind of partition off parts of Eastern Europe. Yeah. So it's not all a shock. Mm -hmm. It's not a surprise. But Hitler's generals are surprised, in terms of you know when they did. It was, was secret. It was secret. Yeah, and and
1: word only got out by mistake. Right. Yeah, uh, and I and I think that's a that's a big thing that's also left out all too often is this pact was completely secret. You know, just between the high command of both. <laughs> no guys. one outside knew. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's just because like the rest of the world would have had a field day with mm. this information. I mean, you talk absolutely. About the, you talk about the SAR offensive, right? I mean, how would that have changed if they had formal knowledge of this alliance? Right. I mean, Britain and France were completely willing to entertain this idea of a pact mm-hmm. with Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, it is debated that Britain might not have taken it seriously whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, if anyone had learned anything from World War I, it's good to have, <laughs>
0: you know, a friend in the East. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Um, So on the day of the invasion, on the 17th, Mm -hmm. Soviet Foreign Minister Molotov claimed, quote, the Russian, excuse me, the Polish government has ceased to exist. So Soviet troops have occupied eastern Poland to protect Russian citizens in western Belarusia and western Ukraine. This is what the foreign minister says. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about the armies that go into eastern Poland on the Soviet side. 35 divisions, 14 tank brigades, 800,000 men. Um, and it's quick as shit. Quick as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Quicker than the Germans. True. Um, but they weren't prepared for it, so. That's true. <laughs> um, while the Soviets are invading on the 20th of September, mm-hmm. Hitler goes to Danzig, um, and there he kind of makes a speech addressing his new policy of killing disabled people in Germany wow. when, this, uh, when this invasion by the Soviets is, is happening. Jeez. So anyway, back to the Soviets. In just a few days, having only 4,000 casualties, the Soviets have taken 200,000 square kilometers of land. Wow. Um, so on the 25th, actually, I did have some stuff about the Siege of Warsaw, because um, this happens right when the Soviets invade. Yep. On the 25th, Black Monday in Warsaw begins. 1,200 aircraft attack the city. Uh the Warsaw Waterworks is bombed, and firemen can't put it out. So now they have to resort to sand to put out fire. Uh, there was, you know, a, a saying I read where, you know, there was at any given moment there's 500 fires burning in mm-hmm. Warsaw. Um, Warsaw falls on the 28th, and uh, on the same day, Russia, ex- Russia and Germany sign a treaty partitioning Poland because um, now they basically have conquered it. Yep, and um, the polls last really into late September, but officially till the sixth of August. Um, October. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, began September first, lasted till the sixth of August. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, October. No, I'm just, never mind. Whatever. <laughs> uh, Germany takes seven hundred POWs, and the Soviets take two hundred thousand. Uh-huh. The Poles suffer 70,000 killed in action and 130,000 wounded the Germans have 10,000 dead and 30,000 wounded Uh, on the 6th of October there you go (laughs) right when they um, right when uh, the the fighting in Poland has basically ceased Hitler makes a speech to the Reichstag uh, trying to calm down England and France by saying he's not interested in war with them he just corrected the unjust Versailles Treaty, which is rich, coming from the guy who just annexed Czechoslovakia after he signed the Munich Agreement with them, saying, I'm not interested in any, any more Czechoslovakia, I'm not interested in anything else. So it's rich coming from him. Um, on the 6th of October, the same day as Hitler's speech, the Battle of Koch marks the complete capitulation of the Poles. Yep. Koch spelled K-O-C-K. Um, anyway, uh, Germany and the USSR now have a complete control of Poland, despite Poland never issuing a formal surrender, I which goes to that, show again like the their la- tenacity. Yeah, the last
1: act of defiance. Truly. I mean, really. Uh,
0: but yeah, I mean,
1: don't, don't overlook
0: Poland. Never overlook Poland. Seriously. They, they, they fight their asses off against the Third Reich. They fight their asses off against the USSR. And they last about as long as probably anyone else would. Oh, yeah. I seriously doubt... Given the circumstances. Given the circumstances, I seriously doubt America would have lasted any longer. I seriously Mm -hmm. doubt Britain lasting any longer if they were in that position um, in terms of their geographic location with all the Mm -hmm. resources they had. But I think Poland really did probably the best they could. Yeah. Um, They mobilized fairly quickly in terms of, you know, ranking up an additional 500,000 men Mm -hmm. to come to the country's aid. It's really just, again, the, the invasion of Poland is not a story... I mean, it is a story about, you know, German aggression, but it's also a story of Polish tenacity. And it's yep. a story of them kicking it to the man and, you know, showing Hitler who's, who's really got both balls. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh,
1: A couple things I would like to note um, that I think, you know, we just breezed over a little bit with the excitement, me, me definitely. Um, but uh, the Polish cavalry was very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and had a cavalry. It's true. It was huge. And 1939, you'd think, well, isn't that just a tad outdated? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about their cavalry, and just to correct the misconception, in case anyone out there still believes it, uh, they did not directly combat tanks. Complete night. I'm sure there were a few examples of maybe... It was not an overall strategy. But no, it was not a strategy whatsoever. And... Uh, they what what the Polish cavalry would do is on on horseback you're extremely mobile, you know uh you think of a horse compared to a tank. think about the turns you can make. you know it's like taking a nineties porsche against right, you know <laughs> this giant hunk of metal mm-hmm. right and uh but that's that's an example with the tanks, but um what they would do is they would ride into areas where Germans were the enemy uh specifically infantry was actually the strategy and they would dismount and attack german soldiers which i found really fascinating they they used the cavalry in probably the best way you could use cavalry at that time you know it wasn't you know what screw it we're not going to use them Mm -hmm. they realized hey these have mobility unlike Our feet (laughs) you know i mean horses are fast um strong animals and they're highly mobile so we don't have the mobile forces to match germany in terms of armored right um in terms of armored vehicles but we do have a cavalry so let's Mm -hmm. use them to the best of
0: our advantage let's have let's do as much damage Mm -hmm. we can with the resources we have exactly Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and and that kind of ingenuity is um it, it, it's inspiring,
0: you know? Truly. Yeah. Um do you have anything else you want to say about the invasion of Poland? Cuz that's all I have in, my, in terms of my notes. Um, um
1: No, I think yeah, I think that about covers it uh for those out there listening though. I do want to say Stalingrad. There will 100% be a Stalingrad episode. Oh,
0: 100%. The There's got to be we got to I will There's convince so much shit. I will
1: convince Avery with every resource no, available. No convincing. Like, I completely <laughs> agree. Um No, Stalingrad is by far my favorite battle. Mm-hmm. Um I mean again, or not again, but just to reiterate that statement. Mm-hmm. Um no, death is not fun. It's not a good thing. You All know, right. uh war is, is tragic, it's sad. But it's fun to learn about. Exactly. It's it's so, fun to learn about it's fun to it's fun to decrypt Truly, what happened. Yeah, you know, and I think Stalingrad is is one of those battles that it's such
0: can, a shit show.
1: Yeah, and it, it could be pulled apart in so many different ways. Oh, yeah, not a step back, mm-hmm. uh, an infamous order that um, I mean came at the the right time. About time, Stalin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I I think I think uh, the, but the reason I also bring that up is because I really think it mirrors what Poland did. You know?
0: It's a really a story of tenacity. Yeah. And just sticking it to the man and, you know, <laughs> showing yeah. Hitler who's boss. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, in that and, case it'd be Stalin, but you and know.
1: Poland was in such a
0: terrible position through a long list of
1: factors. You know, we covered a lot of those bases, but they're told not to mobilize their military, their reserves, right? Mm-hmm. Um they're getting attacked from all different angles. Uh Russia on the seventeenth, you know, and you know, you're kind of put into this impossible position. But, yeah, they they held out. Truly. And they continued to resist for the rest of the war and
0: until they became a nation again. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that just about does it. Uh, again, if you take anything from this podcast, the Poles are badass. I respect the hell out of the Poles. Do not overlook them. Uh, truly. Um, I don't know what we'll cover next. I would imagine something in the aftermath of the Polish invasion. Um, probably... I don't know, Hitler's Next Invasion, which I think is, what, Belgium? No, it's probably Denmark. I think it's Maybe. Denmark. Um, I thought it was Belgium. I don't know, I don't remember. We'll <laughs> figure it out. We'll figure we'll it take out. Take notes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we, uh, this is our first episode of the Kings of Indy, which, again, is a name that will most likely change, but that's the work entitled title. We're work, workshopping um, work, it. We are workshopping it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we are signing off here at 8.02, December 17th on saturday so yeah day of the colts lost the day of the colts lost day <laughs> the music died um but yeah thank you for listening hayden thank you for your uh your diligent research on the invasion of poland thank you all thank right. you avery for your uh, your wealth of knowledge of and course research <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, yeah signing off see you guys see you later